honor to be here with you. I want to say, listen, it is so cool. I'm a lead pastor, uh, and when you leave, to know you're leaving the church in good hands, and as a guest to see just how smooth everything has happened, man, you've got a great staff. Can we give Pastor Jordan a big round of applause for what he's doing? And it's an honor to be speaking with you. Your pastor is a leader of leaders. Pastor Jerry is known throughout our nation as being a great leader, a wise man, and many young leaders look to him. And so you are so blessed, and it's an honor to be able to share the word. Now, Jordan mentioned that I am a dad of four kids. What he failed to mention is I had three kids relatively close in age. Well, I didn't have them. My wife really did all the work. I was just there, right? But, but three kids, I've got one. My oldest son is 17. My next son is 15. And then my daughter is 12. And we kind of had this little family unit. And I got that operation where you just don't have any more kids. Yeah, well, eight years later, my wife got pregnant. And it was one of those, like, you know, like Mary says in the Bible, how can this be, Right? You know what I mean? I was like, oh my goodness, how can this be, right? And like, like you're, she comes, and, and I'll never forget the day she calls me. She's like, get home now. And I'm like, okay. So I drive home, I pull in the house, I, I go into the living room, and my, my family is in there except for my wife. I'm like, where's mom? And, and my oldest son Ty's like, I, I, think he, I think she's somewhere upstairs. So I go upstairs to our, our bedroom, and she's like hiding in the bottom of the closet in the back corner, just crying. Right? It's just like, how in the world am I pregnant after all this? And so, so we, we uh, you know, I, I pull her up. I, I become the man of God of faith. I'm like, babe, don't you worry. If we're pregnant, God's got a purpose, and he's got a plan, and he's going to do great things to this child. And I was like this great leader and husband, and, and she picked herself up. She's like, okay, you're right. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to go to the store and get you multivitamins or whatever you're supposed to get. And so I go into my, my driveway and I get in my truck and I bawl and cry. And she calls me an hour later. She's, where are you? I'm like, I haven't even left yet. But I just needed to process that I was going to be a, you know, a young dad. So I've got those kids. And then my next youngest is four years old. And she is a blast. If, if you've had a child late in life, man, you know, I'm old enough now that I know how to spoil her just right, that it ticks off the rest of the kids. So it's awesome. It's so much fun. I'm honored to be here. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you're going to be honest. How, don't, actually, don't even raise your hand, because this could get you in trouble. How many of you have been around weird Christians? All right? Yeah, don't raise your hand because like your wife is sitting beside you and it might be her sister. So you don't want to get in trouble for that. You don't have to answer who it is that you think is a weird Christian. But I've been doing full-time ministry for a while now. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. There are some weird people out there who I kind of think were weird before Christ was in their life. But nonetheless, now they're super, super weird. And I'll never forget my very first pastoral job. This was like 24 years ago, and in the very first place I pastored, one day the, my lead pastor, and this is just a small church in a small town, and the lead pastor comes to me and says, hey Jeff, I want you to go deal with the woman in the lobby. And I'm like, well, which woman? He's like, you'll know. So I walk up to the lobby, and there is this woman standing there, and she's got like an overcoat and a big hat with a feather in it, and then she's got a dead bird that has been stuffed sitting on her shoulder. I'm like, okay, that's got to be the one. So I walk up, I'm like, hey, how are you today? She's like, oh, I'm so good. I'm so excited to be at church. I'm like, this is your first time? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, we're so honored to have you. I said, man, I love fashion, and I think this, this outfit is pretty, pretty awesome. Like, that's a cool bird. She goes, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, what don't I understand? She goes, this bird 
hears from God and then tells me what to tell the people. And I just looked at him like, you speak bird? That is so awesome. Right? Like, like that's a little bit weird, okay? Like the dead bird. I'm like, I think we live in an era where God can just speak to you. He doesn't need to use bird interpretations. Like, it's, it's good. I remember when I was the first youth pastor. We, you know, your youth pastor here is blessed. I've seen his youth room. That is an awesome youth room. It's so good because when I was a youth pastor, I was in the basement of this church. And, and, and what you have to understand, there was only 300 kids in our high school at that time. And I was the youth pastor. We had 150 of them coming to our church. It was awesome. But the room we had was this tiny little basement, and you put 150 kids into a tiny basement, junior high and senior high kids. Come on, you know that's going to stink really badly. Like really badly. And we're worshiping, they're jumping around, they're sweating. It just smelled rank. And then on top of that, the bathrooms were right off of that room. So if any kid had done like their business, it just was like sweat and poop in the air. That's all there was. And that was our church, our youth service. And all of a sudden, in the middle of one of these youth experiences, this old woman comes down and walks into our basement. Now, when I say old, I was 20 years old back then. She was probably 40. <laughs> she doesn't seem that old anymore. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, well, she was quite young, right? So this young woman, no. But this, this woman walks down, and, and nowadays we have, like, plan to protect, and we have rules that, like, adults just can't come into our youth experiences or our kids. You have to be trained and have to know that you're safe. We didn't have that back then in the, in the, the dark days, right? And so this woman comes down the stairs and she walks into our youth room. And I'm like, well, she should be able to worship Jesus too, like I guess. And she works her way up to the front of the worship area, in front of the stage. She was wearing one of those wraparound skirts. You remember when those were really cool, those wraparound skirts? And I'm telling you, in one very quick, fast move, she grabbed that skirt at the front of the stage and pulled it off and started to wave it as a banner before the Lord and was dancing in front of 150 kids with her skirt in the air and her blouse tucked into her granny panties. And I'm like, they didn't train me for this in Bible college. I have no idea. So I did the only godly thing I knew. I looked at my wife and said, that's on you, babe. You deal with it. I'm not talking to any girl about her clothing. I'm not doing that. I learned from the bird lady. I'm over. There's some weird people who claim Jesus. And we've done some weird things. 1 Peter 2.9 in the King James Version says this. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I'm not exactly sure that's what he was meaning when he said peculiar. I'm not sure he was meaning like, like as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you're supposed to be this really weird, super spiritual weirdo that everyone avoids having eye contact with on your street. In fact, Webster's College Dictionary says this. Peculiar can be defined as uncommon, unusual in nature, or character from others. God has called those of us who claim to be Christ followers to live our life different. We are called to be uncommon. We are called to be unusual. We, we are called to be set apart and be different. Than now, now, I don't think that means that we're to be peculiar in the sense that we're to be weird. But it does declare that you and I are supposed to be different as Christ followers. Now, I don't know about you. Do you remember when going on social media was fun? Do you remember when you used to go on social media and like go to Instagram Reels and like laugh? And, and you'd like go on Facebook. If you are over 30, you, you still use Facebook. If you're under 30, you're like, what? 
Right? But, but you remember going on Facebook and like you'd read stuff and there'd be funny memes that would laugh and, and like social media, you'd go on, it was like a good time. I don't know about you, but doesn't it feel like social media has become so ugly right now? Like, like for me, I feel like I, I, I hate going on because instead of learning a TikTok dance, I've got someone yelling at me about how I'm supposed to believe something or act a certain way or, or be a certain way or, or I still go on Facebook and I go on and, and it's full of memes that are all cutting and, and angry. We live in a really difficult season of life right now, don't we? Where everything has to be black and white. This is what it is. This is the belief system. If you don't agree with my belief system, I'm going to post a nasty meme on your page and humiliate you, and then I'm going to cancel you out of my life because you have no space. I have no space for you in your thinking process. It's all have to be so strict, so black and white. And I don't know about you, I've only been in Winnipeg now for like two days, and I can only imagine how angry you get while driving, right? It's insane how bad the driving is here. It's, it's like, 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 man, y'all don't even understand that there's like lines in the road. Like you're just, oh, I'm just going to go wear up. Cars just stop in the middle of the road, and they get out and go walk. I'm like, this is a driving lane. No, this is a parking lane. What? Who has that? It's crazy. You must get so angry. But I don't know. Have you been around? Don't you feel that society is just angry all the time? Like, I don't know about you, but it feels like everybody's threshold is so thin right now. Or their fuse is, is so small that it doesn't take a lot for someone just to get upset and angry. It doesn't take a lot to be standing in a store and see somebody berate a, a, a store clerk or, or a restaurant owner or whatever. It's just it's, there's anger everywhere. And our society also has become extremely selfish, right? It's about what can we gain? How much more money can I get out of my house? What, what more possessions can I accumulate? What more, what more can I take? What more can I get? What new thing, what new piece of fashion, what new piece of tech, what new piece of what? How can I gain more? How can I do more? I want more. This is society we're living in. And I want to talk for a second. I'm so grateful there's so many guests here today, and it's so cool. But if you're a Christ follower, I want to talk to you for a second. As a guest, thanks for being here. You get to be part of kind of like a little family conversation. But if you're a Christ follower today, I, I want to wrestle through what is being said in this scripture that you and I are to be peculiar. You and I are to be different from society. Now, I grew up with church through the 90s. And if you grew up in church in the 90s, we thought we had it figured out about what peculiar meant. Peculiar meant that you lived your life differently, right? It meant that you didn't swear. It meant that you didn't drink. It meant, some of them meant that you didn't go and play cards, because like if there was a joker in the deck, it was wrong, but there's no joker, then it's Uno, and it's okay, right? But, but whatever, like there, there was these rules around that. It, you weren't allowed to go to a movie theater, right? I grew up in the days, like literally, I remember going to a movie while in Bible college, and I got what's called a demerit point. I had to pay a fine for taking my girl to a movie, because going to movies was wrong, because if Jesus returned, there was a rapture barrier in the movie theater that you would actually just go up and hit the ceiling and bounce back down. So you couldn't go to movies as a Christ follower, right? You, you, you couldn't wear open-toed shoes if you were a female, right? Because somehow your toes would be exposed and the sin would just seep right into you. Like, this is the stuff we grew up with. If you're from church world, you're like, yeah, it was a rough season, right? 
And this is what we taught. We taught purity culture. We taught all this stuff. And it was heavy build and heavy guilt and, and heavy stuff. Because we thought, man, you're supposed to be different. And we boiled difference down to a moralistic code of how you have to live your life. And you will be different because you're not going to watch the R-rated movie unless it was Passion of the Christ. Because that was okay. But every other one you won't watch. Listen, I do believe God calls you and I to a higher standard. If you're a Christ follower in here, you are called to have a higher standard. You're called to think through what you're watching and what you're putting in your body. You're, you're called to think through what you're filling your mind with. You're called to think through how you're engaging with community. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he calls us to be different. In fact, when I look at John 13, 3, 34 to 35, it says this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, can we, can we pause for a second? He, he doesn't say people will know who you are based on how rigid you are in your moral code. He doesn't say people will, will, will base who you are and, and, and know who you are in Christ Jesus based on what music you listen to. What did he say? How are you and I supposed to be different? We're called to be different by how we love people. And can I tell you something? We're known more as Christ followers for what we stand against than what we stand for. Friends, that, that shouldn't be. We're known more for who we're against and, and there's things we stand against than what we're known for what we actually stand for. And Christ calls you and I to not be known for, we're called to be known for our love. Our love for others. Let me ask you a hard question. And I know I'm a guest, so here's the, you don't have to ever hear me again. It's good. Let me ask you this hard question. Does your social media scream love for those that are different than us? Or does it come across aggressive? Is your social media more fixated on the vaccine or not the vaccine? Is your social media so fixated on, on mask or not mask? Is your social media so fixated on, on your stance that you have to have that everybody else is wrong on? Or is your social media filled with love, grace, and mercy? Because the Bible calls you and I to be different. And how are we called to be different? We're to be people who are full of love. And not just love like the, the cheesy romance love. Okay, those of you that love these stupid Christmas movies right now, I want to shoot you, all right? Because you keep making them put them on TV and my wife keeps watching them and then my Friday nights are ruined because of you. So we have an issue. That's not what this is meaning, okay? You don't have to move to a snow globe town and be by yourself and fall in love with the town sheriff. That is not what this is about. Every man in this place is like, I love this dude. He is great. He needs to preach it. We're called to love. How? The way Christ loved you and I. We're called to love others the way Christ loved you and I. Friends, can we talk about that? Christ's love for us is grace-driven. Man, that's not an easy thing to love, is it? Have you ever thought about the fact that Judas 
had the Last Supper with Jesus, Jesus washed Judas' feet. Jesus fed Judas a meal all the time knowing Judas was going to betray him. Now, y'all, I've been betrayed, and it's been hard to love them. I didn't know they were going to betray me when I became friends with them. Jesus knew. Yet still, grace drove him to serve and love. We're, we're called to say, look, I, I may not understand your perspective. I may not understand your thought. I may not understand why you're so passionate about this. And I may believe wholeheartedly that you are wrong. But I love you. I love you. Yeah, you may have failed me in a miserable way, but I love you. And I will let grace drive my love. God, Christ loves us full of compassion and empathy. Can I tell you, some of these people that we're so frustrated at, that we're so angry at, that are different than us, maybe we stop and listen to their story. Well, this is why you have that stance. This is why you're so passionate about the, the vaccine or you're so passionate about not getting the vaccine. It's not just a science thing. It's a, it's a whole emotional worldview that you're wrestling through. And, and, and man, maybe I didn't know about this and this in your story. Instead of just coming up so quick with this is how it has to be. And if you're not like this, no, no, I'll be known by my love. And I'm going to actually take the time to hang out with those who are different than me and, and, and not have an echo chamber around me. But instead, listen to voices and hear the stories and, and be awoken to what's really taking place. And go, I'm only standing where I am, but by the grace of God. I'm not a self-made man. I could have done all the sins or had all those same things happen to me. So I will choose to hear your story. I will choose to offer love and go, I don't know how you got here or why you're here, or I may even think you're wrong, but I will choose love. We're called to live different by being generous. In a world today that is about accumulation, People are literally renting storage units. Storage units are a huge profitable thing right now. If you want a business, get some land and put up some storage units. Because we as a culture have so much stuff, we can't even keep it in our garages and our basements. We now are putting it in storage units. If you've got to put it in a storage unit, you should sell it. Right? Like, think about it. It's crazy. Just boxes upon boxes. There's now TV shows of just going and taking over storage units of people's junk and then selling it off. Because we're accumulation. You want to live different? Be generous. Be generous with your finances. Obviously, give to the church as scriptural. But help out those in need. Buy somebody a coffee. Be generous with your time. Talk to people. Listen to people. Engage with people. Be generous. It's so countercultural right now to operate in this idea of generosity in a culture that's hoard, 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 hoard. To go, man, I'm just going to give, 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 give. People are like, what is going on? Who are you? Why would you do that? Why would you just spend that time? Why would you help out that homeless person? Why would you, why would you go and, and take care of this? Why would you help out this family in need? Why, why would you do that? Well, because Christ has been generous with me. So I want to be generous back. We're to serve the broken, the hurting, and the disenfranchised. And can I tell you, that's really hard to do at times. we got a guy named Mike who is a homeless guy who lives in a van on our church property. I wanted to say down by the river, but some of you would understand that joke. Some of you are too young. But he lives in a van. 
on our church property. And he's got a drinking problem. He's got addiction problems. He likes to walk around shirtless. It's really weird. And it's quite crazy. And many times people are like, oh, we got to get rid of him. we got to kick him off our property. It's a security thing. I'm actually, this guy's actually ended up working security for us. Every church in our community has been broken into over COVID, but ours, because Mike just runs them all off. It's great. His shirtless self just runs around chasing people. With the, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. But he's crazy. That's a lot of work. And he shows up to church drunk and screams things sometimes, and our ushers have to kind of take him out and try to calm him down and talk to him. And, and it's a lot of work. But I don't know, I just feel like we got to love the guy. I just feel like, yeah, it's, it's maybe whatever, but we're keeping our kids safe. We're keeping our environment safe. But, but we're going to be willing to put up with the ugly and the difficult and the hard and the alcohol and the addictions and all that stuff. Because we're like, why? Because we're called to love the disenfranchised. We're called to love the broken. We're called to love the unlovable. Everybody else has turned their back on them. Everybody else. And we run an extension cord out to his van every night so he can plug in and have a heater. Because we want him to know he is loved. And it's ugly. It's hard. We're called to think of others first. Man, if you want to live counterculture right now, live your life thinking others first. It's so hard. This is where the whole debate has come with the church, right? Oh, well, we, we should be open. We should be closed. It's, it's essential. It's not essential. We should wear masks. We shouldn't wear masks. It's all this fight about what I want and then impose it on everybody else. But what Christ calls you and I do is go, no, no, no. We're called to live others first. We're called to live our life in a way that those who are, are marginalized, those who are hurting, those who don't have the understanding, those who are, we're called to go, I will live my life in thought of them. The Bible says that you and I have freedom, and we have freedom. But it says that we will surrender that freedom to the cause of Christ for the betterment of others. So yeah. We have to walk and go, man, I'm going to choose today to go, I will live my life for others. I will be known as different, not because of my political stance, or not because of my, my this. Instead, I'm going to be known as, as a person who is loving others first and choosing to go, I will lay down my rights to serve someone who can't or doesn't know better or doesn't have the freedom that I have or doesn't have the understanding of Christ. And we're called to speak truth in love. Listen, I am not advocating for us to be Christians or Christ followers who don't speak truth. There is righteousness. There is holiness. There is purity. And we're called to walk in those things, and we're called to call others up to that level. We are called to do that, but we're called to do it in love. I've been around some people like, well, I just speak it as it is, Pastor. I just tell the truth. I'm just, I, just speak, I just speak my mind. I tell it. It's like, no, you're just a jerk. That's all you are. You're not a nice person. Well, all the gospel's offensive, Pastor. I'm like, really? Do you know who the gospel ever offended in the Bible? The religious people. You don't see sinners walking away from Jesus because they're offended by his proclaiming of the truth. You see the religious people walking away from Jesus because he made heaven too accessible. You see sinners going, I want to be around that person. Friends, 
We're supposed to speak truth. We're supposed to stand for righteousness. But do it in a way that it's full of love and attraction. That those that don't agree with us will go, man, I don't agree with you. I'd see it differently. But I can't argue your love and your compassion for me. Jesus was accused of being a drunk. Not because he drank too much. Because he hung out with those because they wanted to hang out with him. And then he would teach them the truth and the ways to Christ and the ways to God. So let me ask you this hard question. Are you living your life the way the scripture calls you to live your life peculiar? Are you living your life in a way that is different than everybody else? Not the moralistic code that we've been taught for years is different. But are you living your life centered on the concept of love? That people will see me, I will be countercultural. And it's so easy in this season to be countercultural. To go, man, I don't have to do a lot to be countercultural. I just have to choose love and grace and mercy and compassion and generosity and others first and speak truth, but speak it in a way that it actually draws people in a desire to transform and change and repent and turn from their wicked ways and fall in love with Christ. Now, if you're a guest here today, welcome back to the conversation, because now we're going to carry on. That was a pretty heavy, like, wow, this guy flew all the way from Ontario just to slap us. I'm so happy he's here, right? It's cool. I won't be here next week, so you're good. But there's another meaning to the word peculiar in here, and it's that it's a special possession. Now, I have a pen here, and this pen is called Goldie. I've actually named him. He's not a super fancy pen. He, he's not a super expensive pen. And in fact, I have a Mont Blanc pen. I have a way more expensive pen than this pen. But this pen has special significance to me. This pen is my grandfather's pen, and it's really the only inheritance that I have of my grandfather and the influence that he had on my life. And I got this when I was 17 years old, and he passed away, and I've held on to it. And this pen sits in a special box in my drawer, and I take it out at special moments. With this pen, I filled up my Bible college application. How weird is that? That was back in the day where we used to actually get the application mailed to us, and then we would write it in and then send it back. Now all you do is just type out stuff. It's so cool, but I filled out my application with this pen. When I married my wife, Amber, I signed my wedding certificate with this pen. Every house I've purchased, I've signed the 10 million pages of legal documents that I didn't read a single page on, but I signed with this pen. And I will have this pen my entire life. Again, it's not the fanciest pen, but I'll have this pen my entire life and continue to do special things with it. And I will hand it down to my firstborn son, and he probably won't care, and it will be lost at that point. But to me, this pen is peculiar because it's special. It has special meaning to me. It's valuable to me. And that's what Jesus is saying. So, so, so here, here's the deal. The Bible is written to a specific people at a specific time in a specific language, but it has eternal principles for all of us to listen to and learn from. This Bible is written in the language, and the New Testament is written in the language of Greek. In Greek, the word peculiar doesn't mean weird the way we've interpreted it today. It means special possession. Listen to the scripture verse in the NIV, a different version of the same scripture. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
That is so important for us to hear today. You are God's special possession. Doesn't matter what your story is today. Doesn't matter how messed up you are. Doesn't matter where you sit on the moralistic code of all the things. Doesn't matter what others have told you, that you were a mistake or you're a failure or there's no good inside you, you're so dumb. Whatever it is that people have spoken over your life that you've taken ownership of and held on to, God is saying that is not who you are. You are God's special possession. God looks at you and says, man, I love you. You and you're valuable to me. Listen to this. God declares you're special. He says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. When did God do that? Before you were even born. You're so special that before your parents even knew they were pregnant, God said, I've set you apart. I want to use you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Before you wiggled a single finger or a single toe or blew up a diaper, God declared and said, man, you're my special possession. Not based on, well, did you do it right? Did you wiggle your toes just perfectly? No, too bad. You're done for the rest of eternity. No, he's saying before you were even formed, God set you apart and said, you are a holy nation. You're my special possession. Not based on your value because of what you think of your bank account. Not based on your value because you took care of your grandma. Not based on your value because you failed and ruined a marriage. Not based on your value because you messed up and, and ruined so many other. No, he's saying you're valuable to me for no other reason than I set you apart before you were ever even born. In spite of your failures, in spite of your mistakes, in spite of all the things you did wrong, God declares over your life that your value doesn't come from your actions. Your value comes because God has declared you special. He's declared you special. And I don't know about you, but I am sure try, tired of trying so hard to do everything right. I don't know about you, man. This has been an exhausting 20 months. I, I can tell you as a church leader, whew, I've had never had so many guns pointed at me. I've never had so many nasty emails written to me. Yeah, it's, it's tiring. And it's exhausting trying to keep doing it all right and trying to keep make it happen and, and trying to, to walk some code and stand righteous. And I have to come back to the remembrance that God says this to me in Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God's saying, you don't need to try. All you need to do is open the door when I'm knocking. All you need to do is slow down your life for a minute Stop being so fixated on everything that the world is throwing at us at such a rapid speed. And just go, God, you're here right now. You're here. I've learned that I can numb the voice of God in my life by just consuming. Right? I, I've learned that I can sit on, on, on Netflix 
and binge watch an episode, so much so that they're like, are you still watching? I'm like, oh, Netflix cares. They love me. Oh, so nice. Somebody cares. And God's like, no, no, no. Would you, would you just pause for a moment? Not that there's anything wrong with binge watching, you know, a show. But God's like, hey, instead of numbing yourself, would you listen? Because I'm actually here. And I'm actually knocking at the door. I actually just want to spend time with you. And how do we get to the spot where we understand our value and we don't base on it? This is as old school preaching as you can possibly get. There, there's, there's really just four ways. One, we got to read our Bible. Like as old school as that sounds, if you grew up in church, or like we've learned that since we were in Sunday school, right? Like, read your Bible. Jesus loves me. Why? Because the Bible told me so, right? Like, we, but, but the Bible isn't God's rule book. We, we've kind of made it into that. It's God's rule book. Or we've made it into God's like coaching for life or, or, or life manual. Do you know what the Bible is? It's love letters from God reminding us who we truly are. And in a society that's screaming at us and telling us to walk in insecurities, a society that's screaming at us and telling us that, that you are a sum of all of your actions and you can be canceled in a moment. A society that's screaming at us that says, this is the only way, the right way. This is the love letter from God that reminds us that, man, no, 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 my insecurities don't get to win today. It's the Bible that reminds us that, man, when I'm feeling sick, that God has already healed me. And I can walk with the knowledge that God's healing power is alive in my life. The Bible reminds me of, of who I am. The Bible reminds me of how I'm to engage. The Bible reminds me of what matters the most. The Bible reminds me of how I'm to walk my life close to others. We read the Bible not for an manual, not for, not for an instruction book, or not for a rule book, but we read it to go, man, God, you love me so much. And that changes everything. Number two, we need to spend time in worship. Not because your worship team's absolutely amazing. And that girl who sang, oh my goodness, those were awesome pipes. So cool. I want to be a rock star so badly in my life, and I can't play a single instrument and sing a single tune. So I stick up preaching, way easier. But we don't do worship because it's really cool and the music's really awesome and it's emotional. You know why we do worship? Because it takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them on Jesus and it reminds us how good he really is. Worship's one of the most selfless things we can do. We put on our Spotify playlist and listen to, to our worship and, 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 and driving down the road and, and go, man, I'm not fixating on all of my issues or who I think or what I think, but I'm now fixating my eyes on Christ and who he is, and what he's done. And in spite of me, he's alive in me. In spite of my failures, he cares for me. And I start to worship and engage the presence of God because as I'm doing that, God is reminding me of his presence and his touch, and he's filling me with his spirit. And when his spirit speaks, I listen to what he's saying. So he says, hey, I don't like this issue in your life. I go, okay, great, it's yours, God, I'm done. And then I fail again, and he reminds me. I fail again, and he reminds me. Eventually, I get victory. But we worship not because it's just really cool music, or I don't want to listen to secular music because that's bad and horrible, and so I'll just listen to, to Christian music. No, we worship because it takes our minds off of our situations. Man, we get a bad news from the doctor, and fear is taking over our lives. I like to put on worship music and go, man, God, you're bigger than this situation. And you've never let me down. So I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. 
I'm going to lean into your presence. And I don't know if I have the strength to make it one more step. I don't know what I'm going to do. But when I turn on my worship music and I turn in and lean into prayer, it starts to change my perspective because I'm reminded of how big and how awesome and how powerful and how amazing God really is. Number three, we have to hang out with those who are far from God, but we need to hang out with those who are close to God too. Because can I tell you, when you are down and out, there's nothing more powerful than a friend calling you and saying, hey, I'm praying for you today. When you're wrestling through a struggle, there's nothing more powerful than having real men or women of God who come alongside and say, man, here's how I interpret the scripture. When you're walking in rebellion, there's nothing more powerful than a man or woman, a friend of God that comes and sits and says, hey, I love you enough to speak truth into your life. And I want to warn you what the scripture says. And, and I will love you and release you. You do what you choose. But I'm going to be a man or woman of integrity and challenge you to step to another level. Challenge you to walk in accordance to scripture. Challenge you to shift your mindset. There's, listen, there's nothing more powerful than having a people of community that gather around you and go, man, we're with you in this season. You can't walk on your own, but you can walk through the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm going to hold you up as best as I can and be that source of encouragement to you. That's why, I don't know what you call them here, small groups, life groups, cell groups, connect groups. We're, church are great at coming up with names for the same thing. Whatever you call them, that's why they matter. Not because pastor wants you just to be doing another thing on another weeknight. Or you're going to hell if you don't. Because it's actually in that sense of community is where you actually become fully who God called you to be. Because iron sharpens iron. Can I tell you one of the most hardest things I've learned in my life? A true friend cares more about who you are and where you're going than they care about the friendship. An insecure friend will tell you what you want to hear. Does this Jesus make you look fat? No, you look great. You look fat, girl. That's just truth. True friend will tell you, no, you shouldn't wear those jeans. may offend you, but it'll save you the embarrassment, right? True friend will say, yeah, I'm willing to leverage the friendship to help you be the best version of yourself. That's what I'm looking for, friends. Not just an echo chamber that makes me feel amazing about myself, but I'm actually rotting on the inside. And lastly, we make room for Jesus. We make room for Christ. Look, I don't know your story, and I don't know your personality. Some people are like these early in the morning risers, and like I think God's angry at them because he was up all night with the sinners, so why are you bugging him early in the morning? That's my argument. Right? Some of us are late at night. Some of us are in our cars. I, I don't know. But I want to tell you, walking for Jesus isn't easy. And if it's only being done when it's easy, it's not going to last very long. So I've learned to make room. I've learned to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when he says, hey, I'm knocking. And I go, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to answer. When I get a nasty email and I have written out the best, most vicious response that is going to theologically correct them and bring them down to this small and show them why I am superior, I make room for Jesus. You know, God, okay, maybe that's not what you want me to do. When that person cuts me off in the middle of downtown Winnipeg, and like I want so badly to give them the finger, because I'm like, don't you understand how cars work? Holy Spirit, I go, I'll make room for you, Jesus. Correct me. Help me. 
when I want to go and purchase something else really, really cool, <laughs> an awesome toy. And there's nothing wrong with having toys. It's just wrong when they own you. You go, man, no, no. I'm going to make room for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make room for the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to walk in the leading of what the Holy Spirit calls me to do. I'm going to do what he asks me to do. And I'm not going to get it right. I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to mess up on colossal levels. But then the Holy Spirit says, that's okay. I've got you. I've got you. Because you know what I've noticed with the Holy Spirit? He doesn't condemn. He inspires. If you're being beat up with condemnation, that's not the Holy Spirit in Jesus. That's the enemy of your soul trying to distract you and keep you lost in your sin and lost uh, neglecting what Christ had done. The Holy Spirit says, man, I wish you didn't look at that last night on the internet because I've got a better plan for your life. So if you'll surrender that, I'll actually pour more into you than you can ever ask or imagine. So I want you to change because the change is worth what I'm going to give. So listen to the Holy Spirit. Walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And when you fail, repent and lean back into God. And friends, that's how we become countercultural. That's how we change the world. That's how we mess everything up for Jesus Christ. And in today's culture, people will stand and take notice of a place and a person who love. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. You had no other answer but to say yes there, by the way. That was the only answer you had. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Pastor Jerry and all that he's doing overseas and training and raising up leaders. I thank you, Father God, for the leadership team around this church. I thank you for what this church is doing in this community and how it's moving and how, God, you're using this group of people to live out your calling to be the hands and feet of you to their neighbors, to their co-workers, to their classmates, God, to their family members. You're using this church to make a difference for your kingdom. And so, God, I pray that you pour out your spirit upon this church. I pray, God, that you fill every individual. I pray today that you would awaken us to be peculiar people, not weird, but countercultural, and to live our lives in a way that God would be impact, God would impact those around us. And people would take notice of who we are and the God we serve because of our love. In your name we pray. Amen.